our topic tonight. We uh, previously our discussion was on creation, and of course, human beings as the crown of God's creation, made in the image and likeness of God. We want to tonight talk about uh, the church's Orthodox Church's understanding of the invisible creation, specifically of angels and demons, and to spend some time on that as um, something that's important and relative relative to uh, to us. I guess we haven't really talked gone into Orthodox uh, Christian anthropology yet, so we talk about human beings more in detail after we discuss the invisible creation, angels and demons. When we speak of the angels, we, it's a kind of a generic term uh, itself, though it's actually one rank of the of the of what we call the bodiless, the bodiless hosts or the bodiless uh, powers. And the and there are nine ranks of the bodiless hosts, bodiless powers, of which the angels are but one rank. The angels themselves are messengers. Uh, purely spiritual beings, whatever that means, but are finite, which is to say the angels and their spiritual being are not like God who is everywhere present, omnipresent. They have a kind of specific intensity of, of place and space, though we can, we, all these terms are relative. But they're no less real than us, even though they're spiritual beings and invisible beings, though they do uh, appear uh, uh, in visions to people. And, but again, they're still different from the spiritual reality of God, the Creator. They are still creatures, um, as 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 are we. Uh, scripture mentions some of these ranks of the bodiless powers, the bodiless hosts. For instance, in Colossians, Colossians one, chapter one, verse sixteen. I'm still learning my Bible. Colossians comes after Philippians. Colossians 1.16 For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. And then here we go. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. Which is to say, all things were created by the Son and Word of God and for the Son of God. Because in the, in the previous verse it was, who is speaks of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So the angels, the Baalist hosts, are our elder brothers created before us. Um, their vocation, primarily their heavenly vocation, is to give glory to God, continual adoration and praise, and give glory to God uh, at the throne of God, as Isaiah witnessed in Isaiah uh, in chapter 6. Uh, where, where there's the vision of God on the throne and the angels are saying holy, holy, holy which for us is as well a sign for the Trinity um, and Orthodox Christian worship our earthly worship really is called to be a reflection a mirror on earth what's going on in heaven that we um, as we say we mystically represent the cherubim ourselves in our in our earthly human singing in the in the church on earth that we we join in could say to join in the heavenly choir where there's it's always ongoing worship of God in in the heavenly realm and so again our when we make an earthly effort at worship we're trying to in effect tap into what to, to the heavenly 
worship. The highest uh, levels, the highest ranks, um, are the cherubim and the seraphim. And there are nine together. So cherubim, seraphim, I should write it all down. I should, I have a paper somewhere, but I don't, I guess I didn't print it. Um, cherubim, seraphim, thrones, dominions, authorities, powers, principalities, archangels, angels. So the angels are kind of like actually the lowest of the ranks. Archangels are, are, are higher. And um, of course, the most important, well known uh, archangels are Gabriel and Michael, especially Gabriel. Uh, as far as his biblical, uh, his his role in our in our as a messenger of our salvation, as a messenger of of the good news, of the annunciation that God would would take flesh and become human. Um, but the arch the archangels and angels are mediators to this world. They're messengers, go betweens between God and creation. They bring the power and presence of God to the world. They do the will of God. They are workers. They are warriors. Warriors being warriors against the demons, warriors against evil, and they're ultimately their their role in terms of their mediation is to help us towards salvation. There are guardian angels, which the teaching is are given at baptism. Um, angels have no bodies, quote unquote, as we have, but they can appear. Um, and they, they, when they do appear, they do appear sort of in human form. Um, but again, they're strictly spiritual beings, whatever that means. Because we don't know, we say that, but we don't really know physical, spiritual. And as we talk about, um, the, more, the more we learn about the, the physical universe and quantum physics, and the more, the more in-depth, like, of course, we all learned in school, that we're all ultimately composed of atoms. And what's an atom? An atom is little particles in the middle with particles spinning around it. So atoms themselves are sort of little vague, ephemeral, uh, almost spiritual somethings, little balls of, of energy within energy. And um, so again, when we think of the physical, the spiritual, that which is material, physical, when we break it down into its, to its ultimate components we're sort of we're sort of uh, even even in our physicality we're sort of spiritual beings we're beings composed of energy not to mention 80 some percent water but anyway um, so the angels the angels virtues are obedience obedience to God in all things unceasing adoration of God they bring a certain order to life in heaven with their different ranks and we say that the monastic life in the church the, the life of men and women who, who give themselves to a to you could say to a life of, of church to a life of worship and prayer as their vocation as their so to speak their regular job um, that the monastics are most most closely reflect and imitate the angels and how they live uh in, in terms of their continual continual service to God and to one another. Our, the archangels inform, uh, Archangel Gabriel informs the apostles both at the uh, resurrection and at the ascension. Of course, Archangel Gabriel at the Annunciation. In the liturgy, we pray for an angel of peace, a faithful guide, a guardian of our souls and bodies. 
So we, we, even though you could say we're assigned a guardian angel, we sort of reiterate, we pray for that angel to continue to be with us in the regular uh, petitions, the regular worship life of the church. There's a very, there's a neat um, quote, I mean a scripture passage in Job, Job 38.7. Um, and this is, this is God speaking through, through, through to Job. When the stars were made, all my angels praised me with a loud voice, which is really cool. So when God made the stars, he made the universe, when the universe, the angels were like, wow. Angels get wild a lot. They're like, then we show them, we show them in the corner of the icons, and they're like, wow, look at all the things God is doing, and they're all always amazed. And um, but so the the point there too is the angels pre-exist the world, they pre-exist creation, but they're still brought in. They were still brought into creation, brought into being, uh, in in primordial prehistorical time, so to speak, uh, pre-creation, pre-creation of the earth and, and the universe, but. Um, but yeah, so we believe they're there. They're not just chubby little babies with wings. That they're they are serious fighter bombers. They they uh, they're very capable um, stealth uh, beings. And their again, their whole mission is is support and glorification of God, and support and help of us towards our life in God. At least that's how we see it. And again, the 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 whole point of Orthodox worship is to is to act angelic, is to participate, to enter into the the praise and glory of God that's continually offered in heaven. To do that on earth and to somehow be, however humbly and poorly, and we may do it to be a reflection of that heavenly worship. To be joining into it as as both a as both a uh, as a privilege for us to be able to do that, and as part of our our great Christian inheritance and calling to 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 give glory and honor to God. Questions on that? Questions on the angels, the bodiless hosts, the bodiless powers. I'm guilty of spending way too much time on the next subject. Um, the other guys. The, the rebels, the uh, fallen angels, but so much of our, so much of our spiritual spiritual struggle, our interior life, our life directed towards God, um, is is impact. It's impacted positively by the angels, but also in positive, impacted negatively by the demonic aspect and according to the Father's teaching and to their whole life of prayer and seeking after God that you have to understand what's going on in the demonic realm and how, it, how it's trying to impact us how it's trying to deflect us away from God and from our calling to communion with God and so um it, it's and it's even could say a part of our own self knowledge to be to be mindful to be self aware to, to understand that sort of the terms of engagement as to what it is to be a Christian and and what the uh, what this other this other spiritual evil is so.
the demons, the um, the rebels, the evil spirits. We do not believe that this is just medieval wives' tales um, about the reality of the demonic. We we believe that you, in order to understand things, you have to understand what's going on with that. So their spirits are immaterial, bodiless beings. Um, but but instead of uh, in the beginning they were angels. In the beginning they were angels, but they were overcome by arrogance and pride, and they fell. They fell. They are fallen. They are evil spirits. They are fallen spirits. Fallen away from their first vocation. Fallen away from their first identity as angelic beings. And they from henceforth oppose God and seek the spiritual destruction and annihilation of man. They seek our spiritual destruction and annihilation. They fell and rebelled against God under the leadership of Lucifer. Lucifer, their captain. It's, un it's not entirely clear who Lucifer was in his... In his angelic form in, sen in the in sense of was he an archangel or was he even higher possibly a cherubim or seraphim but in any event uh, he was up there and um, when he rebelled he becomes Satan he becomes Satan Satan means the enemy the enemy of God the enemy of us the devil the divider Diabolos, literally the one who divides, the one who pulls apart, destroys, separates. The enemy, the adversary, the father of lies, Christ calls him the prince of this world, Belial, Beelzebub. Uh, Lucifer in his pride, in his arrogance, attempts to become like God. He attempts to become like God. And there's an interesting passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 12, I think it's 14, 12 through 14, or in the way 14, 12, where typically the prophets are speaking the words of God. They're speaking, I am the Lord, I'm telling you this, O Israel. Well, in, in this particular little passage, Isaiah is speaking for Satan. And he says, I will set my throne above the clouds, I will be like the Most High. So he's, it's a, reminding us of the, of the arrogance, of the assumption of 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 the fallen spirit that he could somehow compete with God, somehow be competition for the Almighty God. So the teaching is, as a result of his rebellion, God cast him down to Hades, to the realm of the dead, with his followers who became demons. And it's more or less the teaching that all the different ranks uh, of the demons, of the angels, all there were fallings from all the different ranks somehow. That, that came that, that uh, turned into the divine and um, and so he became the seducer who seduces the world with hatred for God and for us and the, the ultimate ultimate motivation the ultimate motivation of of Lucifer as we now understand it is is envy jealousy and, and envy and jealousy of us envy and jealousy of us human beings that he is offended he was offended he was appalled that um, 
God would make a creature in his image, human beings, that that would still would um, would be in a sense have a higher potential than, than than even the angels. Because of none of the angels is it said that they're made in the image of God. Only you know it's human beings are are images of God, icons of God. So in effect, when he hears of God's plan to create to, to create and to create beings like us, made in God's image, he's he's offended by it. He's he's uh he is um it's an offense to his to his pride, to his own self self image. And he more or less says to God, as as we see in the book of Job, where he says, Let me have him, let me show you that I can compromise Job, I can bring him down, I can get him to turn on you. And so that that's a kind of a metaphor, paradigm for, for the way Satan approaches all of us. That he's allowed to tempt us, to challenge us, to take our free will and to try to manipulate and push us away from God, away from God's will for our life. Um, and especially those who are godly and... and um, Trying to get, trying to draw near to God, trying to be prayerful, trying to be worshipful beings, trying to be faithful to the gospel as we understand it, and so um, we have an enemy. We have we have this adversary, this enemy, and his legions. And we would say you can't understand the, the spiritual life if you don't if you, again if you don't understand uh, this. First letter of John, First John three eight. Um, and and states it very plainly. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So 1 John 3.8 is like a variation on the other side of the coin of John 3.16. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son, but also he came to destroy, to defeat the devil. Christ comes to set us free from oppression by the enemy, by our spiritual enemy, and, our, and the demons are our enemies. And so when we, for instance, when we read the Psalms, the Psalms now were written by David, and he is talking about his enemies, tribal enemies, armies, and, other, and, and so forth, human enemies. We spiritualize the Psalms as we look at them, as, as prayerful meditations, um, which is to say... We look at the enemies when we read Psalms. When it speaks of, you know, Lord, you know, overcome, overcome my enemies, we, we see those as the demons, not as other fellow human beings. So we, we spiritualize it in that sense, that we, we, we look at the Psalms that way when it speaks of enemies. We have no, we have no real human enemies. Um, it's it's the, the demons. One of the fathers talked about how one of the, as, a, as the divider, as the diabolos, the devil, tries to, one of the ways to ruin us is get us, at, get us at each other's throats. So get us fighting and warring and murdering and so forth. And um, as one of the fathers said, it's like um, someone throws a rock at someone and, and the person who gets hit with the rock starts fighting with the rock, beating up on the rock. But it's the thrower is the one behind it all and that's the devil. He, the rock is another human being that comes at us and we're fighting with that other human being 
the, the manipulator, the, the, the one who sets it all in motion, is the devil behind the scenes, getting us again to turn on one another. And, and so, so his, his, his task, his challenge, he, he wants to over, he wants to undo everything God has done. To undo God's good creation, to even say to God, you made a mistake when you, when you created these people, when you created human beings, that you're, you're, they, they can't live up to the high calling. And let me show you how they fail, how they fall short. But still with all that, with all that uh, doom and gloom, the ultimate, vic the ultimate victory we believe is God's. The ultimate victory is the Lord. Uh, the victory is the Lord that Christ, the apostles, the saints of every generation are witnesses of the, of the reality of evil, but also reveal the lack of power that evil has against a human being when, when, when that human being is living in, in the depth of communion with God. That um, the, it reveals the lack of the powerlessness of the demons against us when we're, when we're fully united to God uh, in, in the Holy Spirit. St. Paul, of course, as well, talks about this in a very important passage from Ephesians. Ephesians 6.10 and following. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, do, we wrestle not against one another. Our rear enemy is not each other. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. See, there's even naming some of the ranks. Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto ye the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Very important. Very important passage. Very important understanding. That um, and um, so there's this cosmic spiritual struggle, uh, and that's that Christian experience of, of what you call spiritual warfare, the unseen warfare. Uh, to to have knowledge, to know the reality of demonic evil, and to know the power of God, and to see this playing out as as Solzhenitsyn says said. Um, he said, good and evil is not about nations and tribes of people, but, but the, the, uh, he said, the, uh, the, the, the reality of good and evil goes through the heart of each and every human being. That each and every human being is, has a struggle internally between good and evil, pulling, pulling at them. And that's, that's the, rea that's the reality he learned in, in the Soviet prison, um, system that, that the guards are not my enemies, the guards are not evil, but, but each of us human beings, guards, prisoners, whoever, the communists, we're all struggling with this good and evil in, in, the, in the midst of our being. And so with this in mind that we say a Christian lives, sees, sees life and lives according to the deepest realities of life, that, um, that this is um, important knowledge. Christ, Christ's own baptism, what happens after that? He goes off into the wilderness, right, for 40 days, and he's tempted uh, in the wilderness uh, after his baptism, and, and that's our experience too. 
Now he's tempted with messianic levels of temptation. You know, uh, feed feed the feed everyone, turn turn stones into bread. You know, and, and rule rule the world and so forth. Um, so we we've uh, believed that human beings are free. We have free will. Critical a critical tenant, a foundation of orthodoxy is human free will. That we're free human beings. The very the fact of the image of God, the icon of God in us, is is expressed in in the in our freedom. We're not we're not uh, enslaved by and controlled. We're not robots. We're we're not uh, predestined to this or that, but that we have freedom of choice at each step, and it's a mystery. We don't fully understand how God has foreknowledge of everything and, and is all-seeing, but at the same time, allowed, we're still allowed freedom within that s- sphere of God's knowledge, but that's our existential experience, that we're free. So, uh, human freedom means choice, the option to choose good and to choose evil. Um, and and we, we teach that to become a victim of evil is to lose our freedom. That sin is enslaving. The sin, what we call the passions, passions are are we we lose freedom. If I'm if I'm if I'm obsessed with with greed, I lose some of my humanity. I lose some of my human freedom because I'm totally captivated by by that. And same thing with whatever it is, lust or any other addiction. Or my anger. If I'm if I'm always angry, again my humanity suffers. My I'm not free to to because the next person that you know that does something in traffic, you know I'm going to do something and I shouldn't. But human freedom means choice, the, the possibility to choose. We're we're only truly free with Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's the teaching that God allows us the truest freedom to be humanly who we are called to be as He made us. So the evil spirits, they work together with our own sinful inclination, our passions, to try to enslave us, to corrupt us, to use our own weaknesses, our sins and passions against us. And Satan's jealousy, his envy of us, is to want to bring us down to the animal level where he thinks we belong. Because he thinks we're animals. He thinks basically God took this kind of gross animal creature and... and bestowed his image upon it and it was just that was he was wrong God was wrong to to do that we were undeserving of such of such a of such a gift and a blessing so he again wants to degrade us to mock us to bring us down to to try to in a sense prove in his mind to prove God wrong about his intentions towards us you still want to eat after that <laughs> let's take a break we have funny good things our teaching is that our, our Lord Jesus Christ wants to exalt and raise human beings to their highest potential their highest spiritual dignity to confirm that image of God in us that the image of God would live in us um, and the devil acts against God's will for our life but he acts primarily by deceit by deceit, by hidden action, by confusion. And so, um, getting into now the strategies of our dealing with evil, with spiritual evil, we'd say there's two wrong strategies in looking at the demonic. 
on our part. Two wrong. Well, the, the first one would be to ignore, to ignore the reality of evil, to laugh it off. which is, to, we would say, to misunderstand an essential spiritual truth, to ignore that there's a devil, that there's the demonic. And the other, the other uh, wrong strategy would be to, uh, to be obsessed about it, or to obsess over it. To be kind of fascinated, to be pulled in, fascinated, which, which by nature, to be fascinated with the demonic, to be drawn to some type of communication with the demonic is, is to be victimized um, and is to be, to be, uh, to be harmed uh, humanly. Only our Lord Jesus and the saints get attacked head on by, by Satan and his legions. Because there's nothing, there's nothing but holiness and purity within them interiorly, um, so they can only be attacked externally. Whereas we, beginners, not being pure, not yet holy, are attacked inwardly uh, by these uh, demonic things. And so here's, this is not about uh, goblins and ghouls and and booga booga and scary stuff in that way. It's about the demons. The demons affect us through thoughts. And that's really where it is. It's not Satan appearing with a red suit and a tail and a pitchfork. It's he 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 plants little thoughts. Thoughts in our thoughts that that um that challenge us, that confuse us, that tempt us, and so forth. And so so a, a huge part of from Orthodox point of view of the Christian life of Orthodoxy is understanding where thoughts come from. That that's that's key in in a sense in our spiritual toolbox to understand where thoughts come from, to have an awareness of that, which can help us because um, sometimes weird, stupid, crazy, bizarre thoughts come to our heads, and our and and the reaction is, what's wrong with me? What am I crazy? Am I sick? Am I a dark? evil person what's wrong with me that I have these these wicked and weird thoughts the church is inclined to say that's not you it's the demons it's the demons it we we have thought patterns and 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 habits of thought and imagination and facet and 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 uh, uh, fantasy that yes invite or open the door to the demonic I mean, we are culpable ourselves to some degree. We're not totally innocent. Oh, the devil made me do it. Um, I'm, 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 I'm not guilty. No, we, we can open ourselves to that. But still, the sometimes bizarre and weird thoughts, bizarre and weird thoughts in church, bizarre and weird thoughts when you're trying to pray. We say that that's exactly like here's, here's the here's the sign. Here's the evidence that that you're seeking the truth. Because the demons are messing with you and trying to get you off, off the, off your mark, off the path, off track, you know, make you question yourself. Like, what's wrong with you know, what's what's wrong with me? And um, so it's important to 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 work through all that. So um, the the thoughts, understanding where where thoughts come from, 
which again is not to ignore the evil, but not to obsess over it either. That, um, that half the battle in struggling with temptation lead us not into temptation is understanding the, 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 the thoughts. Thoughts come from three sources. Our own mind, that's an M, our own mind, God, and from the demons. Three, three sources of thoughts. Yes? Is this the reason we bless everything? Sure. Your house and everything? Yeah, we bless things to claim them for God. To claim them for God. We, we bless objects, we bless uh, our homes, we bless ourselves with the sign of the cross to say that we belong to God, that it belongs to God. So half the battle in, and, and, and this is the battle as well in the, in the struggle with our own sins, with our own sins. Uh, most sin begins in thoughts. Our sin, most action begins first with a thought. Maybe a split second and maybe um, you know, quick thought and, and you act and react or say something because the thought fires through your brain and you say something but, but every action um, begins with thought and so most be- no sin begins in uh, thought. One modern spiritual father said that our mind is like airport and in the airport you have the, you know, you have the uh, control tower and the um, what's the what's the the uh, what's what are those guys called the uh, um, air, controllers. Air, con- air traffic controllers thank you well we have to be like that in our mind with thoughts we have to decide what planes we allow to land and what planes we can send on their on their way the planes being our the thoughts that come that come and go in our heads so um, we have to be the air traffic controller of our brains of our minds so some thoughts we need to ignore some thoughts we do need to fight against with other thoughts um, um, how can we tell the difference we can't always and, and in a sense a lifetime of practice and work is to help discern what's going on in our, in our, within us generally speaking God's voice is the still small quiet voice don't do this, don't say that don't go there. You know, it's like it's not pushy, but it's it's there. People often say, "If you know, I, I I something told me I shouldn't do that, or something something told me not to go there." And you this is a feeling, a sense, and and sometimes we listen to it, sometimes we don't. But that's that can often be the voice of God, prompting us, helping us, just nudging us in the right way. Like you know, Elijah heard the still small voice. <coughs> demonic the demonic thoughts tend to be pushy urgent shouting do this do that say this say that go there you know react boom 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 um so it's loud it's loud it's 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 more of of a rather than nudging it's more of a shove and so that's one way to understand a little bit what's going on there and so, uh, and the teaching is, um, and, and we can resist uh, 
tempting thoughts, evil thoughts, with, with what we use in the church, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ have mercy, and we're repeating that phrase, the power, having power in the name of Jesus, and, and using the Jesus prayer to, to really to do mind control in a sense, to control our mind, to discipline our mind, to quiet our mind. If our mind is always revved up and we're bouncing from thought to thought, from image to image, from fantasy to fantasy, the Jesus prayer is for you. It's meant for you to try to bring some of that to a more even, even keel and, and to be in communion with God in that process of repetitive prayer. And, and the Jesus prayer both draws us to God and to union with God because, the name, again, the name of Jesus has power in and of itself. And Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, is simply saying, Lord, as you know best, as you know what I need, give it, have mercy. Not, not telling you what, what I think I need, not, not giving the Lord uh, lectures about what we think we should be doing and how he should help us do it, but just surrendering ourselves to his will and, and to trusting in him for our life. And so, so there's a positive aspect to the Jesus prayer, and then there's a negative, which is not really negative, but negative to to push sinful thoughts out. To not, if your mind is on Jesus, if your mind is on prayer, continually, steadily, regularly, and then you're not going to have sinful thoughts. You're going to push that fantasy away uh, with the name of Jesus, and you're going to resist those thoughts and so forth. So, sometimes, sometimes if an, an evil, crazy, stupid thought comes, we just let it go. Sometimes if it's an obsessive, continual thought that, that persists, then we have to, we have to fight back. And, and again, the fathers have given us this, this gift of the Jesus prayer as the way, of course the Lord has given it, but um, as a way to, to counter and to, in a sense, cleanse our minds uh, with the name of the Lord. Again, uh, the thoughts of the evil one have no power over us unless we cooperate. We can't, the thoughts can't hurt us unless we listen to them. Um, if we're obedient to the thought of disobedience, then, then, um, then we pay the consequences of that. And uh, we're going to be, as, as Bob Dylan said, we're going to be obedient to something or someone. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody. He had one Christian album. He said, you're going to, then he went back to being Bob Dylan. <laughs> But uh, he said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And there's, there's a truth to that. There just is. Or, you're, or the third option is you serve yourself. Um, we're, going to, we're going to listen to somebody. Listen to God, listen to the demons, or listen to our, our, own, our own wisdom. Um, we're going to obey something. Because people, people get nervous about the word obedience. Oh, it's going to control me. Uh, make me do no obedience is freely given freely received freely offered and so forth that um because we're obeying again if we're not obeying god if we're not obeying all that's good and right and holy then we're going to be listening to our own our own thoughts and our own stupid thoughts and the demons will catalog and 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 and, and enrich those thoughts with their own trash so so this idea, this understanding of where thoughts come from is, is pivotal in modern times as a difference that's revealed between the church's understanding of, 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 um, of, of psychology and modern psychology, uh, which is to say the church's understanding of what's going on in our head and, what, and modern, what modern psychology teaches. 
And very simply, modern psychology teaches that whatever's going on up in there, all thoughts are the product of our own mind. So whatever that is, it's all from within us, produced by us, and, and, and therefore is um, ex explaining us to ourselves, whatever's going on in our heads. Now, from the Christian point of view, no, we say the demon's in there and mixing it in and, and, th and throwing our thoughts this way and that, psychology is then going to take that babbling that the demons are putting in our head and, and somehow whatever comes uh, and we have this expression, a thought came to my mind. Well, yes, yeah, sometimes a thought does come to our mind from outside of it. Um, but modern psychology therapy is, uh, basically says whatever comes into your head is, is yours. It belongs to you. It, it, it expresses you. It's expressive of your personality. And so we believe that then psychologists and, 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 and uh, therapists can be led astray. If they, if they deny the reality, certainly if they deny the reality of God as impacting us and, and, and denying the reality of the demonic, impacting our, our thought processes and our thought, our thoughts, um, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the dynamics of our thoughts. So, so that's, that's one big difference between the church. And, and so when you, we have confession in the church, um, because we're still sinners, we believe that the members of the body of Christ are still sin, are still sinners that still sin, and and still can access the forgiveness of Christ continually, and ongoing. And we do that in the sacrament of confession. And so when, it, and the sacrament of confession is not simply the cataloging of well I did this 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 and this. Um, we talk about our sins, but then we also come to the priest, our spiritual father, for, for counsel and for, for direction or, or what, about what's going on in our life, in our heads, in, in our soul. And um, the priest is willing to say, well, that's demonic. Just forget it. Just don't listen to that thought. And sometimes we need someone else objectively to say that to us. Stop listening to that thought. Stop believing that about yourself. That's not from you. That's not. That's not from God. You know, because we do blame ourselves. We still. Are, we are at times too hard on ourselves because of what's going on within us, and 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 so we have to. We we need somebody helping us to kind of sort through all of that. And so that's what that's one of the opportunities, one of the blessings of confession is not simply, oh, I've got to go talk about my sins. But no, I, I get opportunity to just to talk about what's going on with me, um, with with the the priest who, just as we have uh, people nowadays have physical trainers that help them in their physical exercise. Well, your your, your priest, your spiritual father is called to be your sort of spiritual trainer to help you in that, in 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 the spiritual in your spiritual life, and and not to control you, not to not to. Uh, be a guru, but just simply to, to be again that, that extra extra set of eyes and ears and, and to help you understand what's going on within you. Because after a while a priest has heard it all and and heard some things that he didn't think he would hear. But mostly it's the same old boring stuff. But <laughs> but but you can help people to to see what's going on with them because of the repetitiveness. The demon strategies don't change that much. They kind of do mostly the same thing to everybody, 
and it's kind of whatever works. If they see we're weak in one area, then that's how they'll they'll keep pushing and hit a, hitting us in that area. You know, and so, and they don't care what it that it's it's always the ends justifies the means. They don't care what what it is that they, to to push us away from God. They'll try to do it. And so again, the process, the the practice of learning to hear, to discern what's going on in my mind, what's going on in my head, where does that thought come from, what do I do with that thought, um, that that's, that's, where, that's where we meet the demons and that's where we fight them and that's where we can defeat them with God's grace and help. Not, not that we can do it, but, but God will prompt us and help us to do it. And so again, this is not about ghost stories and spooky things, though we don't believe in ghosts. Um, the the hauntings and the things and those we we would we would tend to say those are demonic. Sometimes in places where you know oh there was a murder in that house and there's a ghost that walks the halls. Well, there was a murder in that house. There might be some demonic thing there as a, as kind of a residue of that. But we don't believe in ghosts. We don't believe Aunt Nellie's come back and she's mad um, or whatever. <laughs> but um, so there that can, that stuff can be demonic. It can be. Well, you know, but we, um, somebody mentioned dreams. The demons can, can impact us in dreams at times. I mean, dreams are primarily kind of the replaying of our subconscious or just re reflashing images from the day or from, from recent, from recent conscious life. Sometimes having no sense or, or connection at all to much of anything coherent. It just depends. But sometimes there's a demonic, something that happens in dreams and the teaching again is with dreams is just like any other thought that you don't obsess over it don't dwell on it don't take it to yourself don't say well I had this dream and it, it must mean this for my life and therefore I have to act on it some way no maybe it's really a bad movie um, you know by the Hollywood of, of the demonic and just to let it go just to not not take it to heart and lo and behold, if you don't, then it'll kind of go away and kind of in a puff of sulfur smoke, and you go on with go on about your business. But we're a little we are a little more vulnerable in in, in our sleep state, and so again, we we may at times be be you know be given some things. But again, the teaching the teaching is that God's grace protects us. That the that. And, and in orthodoxy would say specifically the grace of baptism, the grace of the church, the grace of the life in Christ that's, that's in the church protects us, that the demons can only do so much against us, towards us. Um, no one can get possessed from a demon against their will. They have to open themselves to that somehow, they have to cooperate with evil. It's not just that you're walking down the street and bump, oh, the demon just possessed me, darn. Uh, not, not to, but I mean, it doesn't. It's not. That's not it. It's. It's not. You're not open. You don't have to worry about. Oh no, I don't want to be possessed today. Got to be careful. Watch where you step. Don't step on the cracks. No, um, it's nothing like that. It's. It's people that in those, in those, uh, find themselves in that. Have have either they've been specifically involved in satanic things or maybe in the drugs or something and, and have opened themselves to some evil but um, we're blasphemed or something but uh, we, we, we it's not, we're not like there's the danger is subtle and it's serious 
but it, it's not, you know, it's not life-threatening unless we really, really give ourselves over to it. St. Ambrose of Milan in the 5th century talks about Satan's motivation. Um, to understand why the devil would want to tempt Adam, one must understand what the warfare in heaven that the warfare in heaven has already occurred, that the devil and his angels have already been cast out of heaven into the lower realm of earth because of their pride. The motive of the devil is envy of man, who is called to the estate that the devil has lost. That, and that we're called to the high calling of being drawn to the throne of God that, that Lucifer lost and his legions. So as St. Ambrose specifically says, quoting uh, Wisdom of Solomon, which is one of the Orthodox books of the Old Testament, by the envy of the devil, death came into the world. Wisdom 2.24. The cause of envy was the happiness of man placed in paradise because the devil could not brook the favors received by man. His envy was aroused because man, human beings, though formed in slime, were chosen to be an inhabitant of paradise. The devil began to reflect that man was an inferior creature, yet had hopes of an eternal life, whereas he, a creature of superior nature, had fallen and had become part of this <coughs> mundane existence of the, the being the prince of this world. So again, St. Ambrose plays on that, that envy. And of course, we talk about in Genesis, the serpent appears and, and, and tempts Eve, you know, and, and basically with an alternative word. Well, God said, God said this. Well, God did, and then the serpents, well, God didn't really mean that. God's not really saying that. An alternative voice, an, an, an opposition to the word of God, to the voice of God, to the, to the will of God. You know, God said, no, no, God didn't really say that. You know, Ten Commandments, not really. Just suggestions, um, and then and then in talking about uh, the thoughts when we when we pray, and this is from a theological book. I don't know the source of it exactly, but it, it's good. The writer says, "When the demons see that you are really fervent in your prayer, they suggest certain matters to your mind, giving you the impression that there are pressing concerns demanding immediate attention." In a little while, they stir up your memory of these matters and move your mind to search into them. Then when it meets with failure, it becomes saddened and loses heart. So one of the things is when, you're, when you go to pray, you start remembering shopping list, trash has to go out, have to wash those dishes, and whatever. It's not necessarily the big, nasty, tempting thoughts. It's just, no, any kind of thought, any kind of get you off concentration that's what it that and again what is all that is confirmation of the truth that's the beauty of it it's confirmation that my poor pitiful little prayer is somehow a threat to demons they don't want me to do it you know I take it for granted I figure it's not much but I don't you know what it is but he doesn't he doesn't want me to do that so it must be good must be good for me must be what God wants me to be doing because he's trying to get me to do anything else even 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 responsible proper good things that need to be done trash needs to go out but not this minute this, this minute need to be in prayer and again to push those thoughts away and to stay with it uh, and continuing 
The, demon, the, the devil so passionately envies the one who prays that he employs every device to frustrate that purpose. Thus he does not cease to stir up thoughts of various affairs by means of the memory. He stirs up all the passions by means of the flesh. In this way he hopes to offer some obstacle to that excellent course pursued in prayer on the journey toward God. And then he says, why do the demons wish to commit? Now why do, why do the demons tempt us? with the various passions. Why do the demons wish to commit acts of gluttony, impurity, avarice, greed, wrath, resentment, and other evil passions in us? Why do the demons want to, in a sense, act out sinfully through us? He said, here's the reason, that the spirit in this way, our our human spirit, should become dull and consequently rendered unfit to pray. For when man's irrational passions are thriving, he is not free to pray, and to seek the word of God. So again, ends justify the means. It's all in, in, in designed to keep us to keep us from God, to keep us from prayer. And um, so that, like I said, I spend too much time on those guys. One question that Ben and we welcome Ben and I'm sorry, your name too is Monica. Monica ben and Monica joining us. Um, ben, why do the why? Is it that the uh, when the when the demons turn or when the angels fell, how come they can't repent? How come they can't go back to the to the state of 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 purity and adoration and, and obedience to God? And we don't understand exactly, but the this the seem it's seemingly that they're more simple simple creatures, more kind of one dimensional. Whereas when they turn, they like flip all the way. It's like they go from one extreme to the other, and and they don't they can't go back. And that's we have no evidence, at least in the spiritual life, or any of the teachings of the fathers and their experience in prayer that that the the, 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 the demons have repented or changed their way. So we're not sure why it is, but but it's it's the, their nature is different than ours. We are able to hold within us both good and evil at the same time. We're able to repent and to turn back and to change. In fact, the Orthodox teaching of, of Christian life is daily, constant, continual, regular repentance. Repentance not as, oh, woe is me, I'm a sinner and have to beat myself up, but no. Repentance as, I've, 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 I've fallen, I've turned away from God, I forgot God, I want to turn back to God. Repentance is a positive understanding in Orthodox spirituality that it's, it means literally matanya, the change of mind, that you're turning your mind, turning back turning yourself around, going back to God. And so it's a, uh, it's a positive thing. And, but it seems like the demons have no ability to repent. They don't have that capability. So when they fall, they're, they're fallen. And a portion of the, of the whole bodiless powers and the ranks of them fell. And the teaching is that the souls, the human souls being saved, are kind of replacing those ranks of the fallen Angels. Not that we become angels in the other life, not that, but just that we're, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of an answer to the to the rebellion in a way. What else we have? Anybody? Yes. Uh, has, haven't there been some fathers who have uh, said that at, some, at certain points that there are certain people who try to pray for the salvation of the demons and the demons met them with mockery? Yes. Yeah, I was talking to we Cedric and I were talking about what was that? Was bad. Was bad. <laughs> yeah, Saint, I think it's Saint Paisius, who's a modern elder. He 
he starts praying for, for Satan and some kind of ugly dog face thing with fangs appears to him and kind of just shows his fangs at him and like mocks, like laughing, mocking him. In other words, don't, don't bother praying for me. You know, I, 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 here's your prayers, you know, you can do it. So he, he, it kind of shook him a little bit. It's like, okay, I won't do that anymore. I, I, won't, I won't try to. I won't think any good though because many of the fathers of St. Isaac of Syria had a hope that somehow all Satan and his demons would all kind of be saved and repent and you know and so Saint forth Gregory huh? St. Gregory of Nyssa Gregory of well. Nyssa that's right yeah maybe that's what I was thinking of Pat did you have Well, they originally were in the high places of heaven, but they have fallen. And the fathers sometimes speak of the aerial realm, that kind of the demons are up there. In fact, one modern spiritual father, Father Seraphim Rose, he believed that all the UFO sightings are more or less demonic. I was just going to ask you about that, and I was afraid I stopped. The old UFO question? Yes, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an expert on that. <laughs> <laughs> but just... but. That's that was his thought that that it's really de- demonic deception. No, it could you know doesn't have to be. And if there are other beings from other worlds, as Saint Louis, as C.S. Lewis said, that if there are beings from other worlds, they're not as messed up as we are. They're not they're not as fallen as we are, and and they're obviously more advanced. And maybe God allows them to to you know to do a drive by on us, but not get involved so th- <laughs> so they don't get tainted by our mess. But um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that what that is? <laughs> so, but um, but yeah, it's um, Satan can appear as an angel of light. You know, that's a deceptive quality that the demons can appear as an angel. One of the one of the uh, classic uh, stories from fathers is a uh, monk is in his cell working. They're always you're doing handicraft work and making baskets or we- doing weaving or something. <laughs> And um, he's in there working, and vision appears. I am the Archangel Gabriel, come to bring you a message from God. Without looking up from his work, he says, you must be mistaken. I'm not worthy to see the Archangel Gabriel. And it it disappears. It's a demon. Or or sometimes the story is, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Jesus Christ. Bow down and worship me. I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not worthy to see Jesus Christ. You must be mistaken. (laughs) Jesus, you must be mistaken. But that's the humility of like the humility of not looking for the excitement. That's another part of spiritual life is is kind of it's better to stay boring. It's better to stay safe and not have the not want to have give me spiritual candy, give me a spiritual feeling, give me a warm fuzzy, give me a vision. No, the in the in the Orthodox again the fathers in the laboratory of, of centuries of prayer and worship and seeking God give us these warnings and signs and, and cautions that, that can help that are protective of us to say don't seek visions, don't seek experiences. You know, if you're if you're if if you're if you're um you know you're feeling warm and fuzzy, it's just your blood pressure. It's just it's just whatever. It's just your physiology. Don't pay any attention. Uh, don't give yourself over to seeking because then the demons can use that seeking for something 
to begin fi- feeding you false stuff, and then before you know it, you are you are on a, pe- a path of spiritual delusion. So the the there are, and there are there are stories where uh, something comes to the door of the monk's cell and he gives into it, and and um, you know listens to the vision mistakenly. One 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 time, an angel, a false angel, showed up at at, at somebody's cell and says, "Look," he says, "You just read the Old Testament. I'll read the New Testament for you." And so, so he. <laughs> He believed it for a while. He gave then he then he corrected himself and repented. But I, there's a there's there's an interest there's an interesting thing there. Must be more important to read the New Testament. All, all in all, I mean there's 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 important truths obviously in the old, but the new is the new is about Christ. So so anything that um, you know that gives us a message that that's opposed to God. A priest got a call from a lady once said. Um, I've had a vision of uh, of the of the Mother of God. She's come to me, and uh, the priest said, "Well, you know, my child, you could be mistaken. This could be uh, could be a, something from the from the evil one." She says, "You're the eighth priest that's told me that. I, I, what do you priests know about things?" So sometimes you get told, and if you don't listen, well. Because could because the priests are inclined to protect the the flock that way too. Just don't 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 fall for stuff. We're all beginners. We're all in first grade, and we're not doing calculus for a long time yet, and and maybe never will. And um, and or spiritually speaking, and so just don't be. It's better to be consistent, be faithful, not seek experiences. And and the teaching is you offer the quantity. Which is to say, in your prayer, you offer the prayer, and God will give the quality, as He knows your, as He knows best, as He knows when you're ready for it. God will give the quality of of prayer, and that quality, that experience, will be will have its own good fruit. By the fruits, you'll know them. Most of Christ said many powerful, important things. One of them, one of one of them is when He said, "By their fruits, you'll know them." So, of any spiritual experience we have. What's the fruit of it? Is the, is the does the fruit of it make me feel humble? Does it make me want to repent? Does it make me want to go to church? Does it make me want to pray more? Does it make me want to get back into the Word of God? Or does it make me feel good about myself? To make me feel proud? Make me feel like I've accomplished something? If the if the experience of any feeds my pride, feeds my vanity, feeds my arrogance, then that's not of God. That's not of God, and um, so by their fruits you'll know them. What what are the fruits? What what produces? What's being produced in my soul, in any given spiritual experience, one way or the other? I'm filling in time. We're going to probably end a little early anyway, because you want to hear the president. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, any questions on anything? Stump the priest. Any thoughts on? We've just come through the holy season of Christ's nativity and, and theophany. Theophany, the baptism of Christ, right? The first first time in human history God has revealed his trinity was at the right. banks of the Jordan, in the Jordan River. The voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. The Spirit 
proceeding from the Father, resting upon the Son in the form of a dove, God revealing himself as the true God. And we've talked about in prayer that we pray in the Spirit through the Son to the Father, right? That God has God has communicated to us, revealed himself to us from the Father through the Son in the Spirit. And so our, our belief in God as Trinity is not simply an abstract idea up there, but that in impacts how we pray. I mean, some of our prayers are to our Lord Jesus Christ, specifically, but they're still to God the Father. Um, but it's in the Spirit. The Spirit, as St. Paul said, the Spirit prays within us in words too deep for size, that, that God gives us, prompts us, gives us prayer, and helps us to pray. So that's, that's the blessing there, too, that, that if we want to pray, God will give us prayer. That prayer is a gift, faith is a gift even. The Lord help me to Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief that God will give us more faith. Um, God's, when we look at all that Jesus Christ has done for us, he's done everything. And he's still doing it all. He's still wanting to do everything for us. I mean, we still make a free choice, a free movement, a free decision uh, towards the Lord. But he's, he's, he's ready, God's ready to help us at every step and indeed to carry us. You know, like the old, like the old uh, thing where the, in the where that pathway, the the footprints in the sand. You know, um, I forget how it goes, but you know, how come, how Lord, how come the footprints of my journey aren't? How come my footprints stop there and pick up over there? Well, that's the time I was carrying you. That kind of thing. God could, uh, God will carry us. And the evil one has no no power against us. He he puts on a good show. <laughs> And at times, at times, it seems like he has more power than he does, but it's, it's, it's mostly, it's mostly smoke and mirrors, and um, because because the Lord has neutered him, the Lord has taken his power from him, so he's still angry at us about it and angry at God, but God God keeps God protects us from him, though obviously he he had quite a show in the 20th century, and. Um, Rolling Stones talked about that too. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. Um, wherever there's wars, wherever there's evil, wherever there's killing, wherever there's division of human beings, the demons have been the devils. The devil's been busy. Um, but again, that we are not our own enemies. Um, we have an enemy. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the um, really the the unfor the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit is to attribute something demonic to the Holy Spirit. When this Pharisee said to Jesus, "You have the spirit," it's 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 the it's the Beelzebub, the demon is speaking through you. That's when he said, "There's one sin that won't be forgiven: blaspheme against the Holy Spirit." It wasn't, you know, saying bad things about the Holy Spirit. It was specifically attributing the holy, the presence of God's Holy Spirit, to something dark and evil. So we have to be careful ourselves as Christians to say, "Well, that's demonic. That's demonic." You know, what? Because we don't know. We don't. You know, we don't know where God's moving always. But again, by their fruits, you'll know them. Um, 
The only people slain in the spirit in the scripture who lose their faculties are possessed by demons. Bible study. I mean, it, it's the only people in the Bible who, go, who are flailing about in distress are demonically possessed. So when there's a practice of people being slain in the spirit or losing their faculties or, go, or going into trances or passing out and people claiming it to be the Holy Spirit, then it, that's not what but that's the by their fruits you'll know them that's not the fruits we don't god doesn't take our freedom from us god gives us freedom god doesn't knock us sideways you know um with this with the presence of his with his presence so people attributing that to the holy spirit it, it, there's a caution there from 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 again from looking at it with discernment but again we shouldn't go around be careful and to label too much but by their fruits you'll know them. You know what are the what are the fruits of genuine spiritual spiritual experience? You want to repent. You want to you want to get closer to God. A lot of spiritual experience being sold now is kind of a tr similar to a football game. You get stirred up in the game and you're excited and you cheer and you carry on. You high five your friends and your team does whatever it does and and you have that experience and you, and you leave the stadium and. You're not changed by that, and a lot of a lot of what passes for spiritual life in the world nowadays is like that. It's it's emotional. It's exciting. It's it's captivating. It it's you get blood stirred. You get cheering and so forth. Um, but it's not it's not a it's not holy. It's not really. It's not changing you. It, the fruit of it is sort of neutral or whatever. So again spiritual life can boring is sometimes better or at least quiet be still be still and know that I'm God now in church we're not still in church we're singing alleluia and we're going after it because lit liturgy is called work is the work of God's people it's work it's the work of worship we're there to offer something to God very specifically that if we sing alleluia and praise God and get out of ourselves we'll be given what we need um, and that's important too that when we're going to God it's not going give me give me give me it's not I have to go get mine Lord you know feed me no we come and sing hallelujah we sing praise to God give glory to God and and Lord and pray Lord of mercy and he, he we get what he gives us what we need but we're not having you know our, our motivation is to give glory to God and and he'll fill up our our, our he'll fill our basket and fill our soul with good things and um, so the motivation should always be God word, not me word, not give me, not 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 inspire me, um, feed me, because we will be fed. But but the, if the the mystery of life is is he who saves his life will lose it, right? He who loses his life for my sake, for the sake of the gospels, will find it. Anything else, sir? Um, quick question. Um, can you just talk about how um, having house blessings after gathering, how that originated, and then also just practical aspects? Um, can only Orthodox have their houses blessed, or can inquirers have theirs blessed? Can. Okay. Inquirers can have their house blessed. Absolutely. Uh, it just came about because it's an extension of of throwing in the holy water um, when you bless it you throw it in the four corners of the earth and you may and go around bless the church the, on the night of 
um, uh, and we can you can bless natural bodies of water too. But then you're just taking you, you the prayers of the church. So you take the water to your home. The, the the presence of the holy water is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the in the water is is the blessing of the home. And so the priest comes and does that with prayer. And so it was pretty much. Um, in in church in for a long time, just an extension of the feast, the priest going around to bless the homes. Um, when I, I was I served a church, uh, it was a large church in a small town, Pennsylvania, for two years, and literally everybody lived around the church. In my home in Philadelphia, we all lived around the church too in the early days, and so the priest literally either the, the day the day of Theophany, after after the liturgy was over, would start going out down down the street to bless homes. And go around in a circuit, so start in the closest homes around, and then kind of radiate out. And in that Pennsylvania town, the last the last few days of it were the farms, farmers. So I had had someone take me around to show me where all the farms were. But um, yeah, so it's a it's a it's a blessing. It's a it's saying this house, it it is it is kind of an exorcism of the space of the of whether it's a house or apartment. It's it's um. Saying this, this space belongs to God. This is reserved for 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 Christian life, for holy life. And when you when at the first time blessing, the, for, there's a first time blessing that's different from the annual theophany blessing. And the priest in the first time blessing says, "Let every let every operation of the spirits of evil be put to flight through the sprinkling of this holy water, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." So it's casting out, and um, so it's 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 done. It's done by appointment, typically, in this day and age. Um, but yes, we do it, and you're welcome to have it done. Blessing. Is there is there a particular way in which like the, the house needs to be prepared and needs to be done before the priest would come? No, no. There's just typically a bowl, a a, a, pro, a, a, a appropriate vessel for to put the water in. Um, typically on a on a tick table, kitchen table or dining room table, maybe a, a tablecloth and, and an icon, candle, and yeah. Thank you very much. Close with a hymn.